Exodus 23, we'll read verses 10 through 19. This is uh, the everlasting word of our God. Exodus 23, beginning in verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. And you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. For three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the fields the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the feast, the fast, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of your first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Send the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let us pray and ask Him uh, to bless it. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit would work in it, that you would teach us what you want us to know, and that you would work in our hearts, Lord, to hear it, to receive it in faith, uh, that you would uh, mold us, Lord, that you would help us to, to look to you. Father, we thank you for your word, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So our, our passage today uh, is the beginning of the end of these laws that expand the Ten Commandments. So if you remember, um, Exodus 19 through 24 is a series of concentric circles. So that means there's an outside circle, there's one in the middle, and then there's a bullseye. And the bullseye, the dead center of this section, Exodus 19 through 24, the bullseye is the second half of Exodus 20, where it says that Moses entered the thick darkness where God was. That's the bullseye. That's the middle. That we, everything that we have, the, the, the whole reason we have a relationship with God is because our mediator has gone into the darkness where God is. Everything else flows from that. And so as we, as we go out of the circle, um, as we go out of these concentric circles, we start to see how they correspond. That chapters uh, 21 through 23, as we've discussed, these chapters expand the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are on one side and 21 through 23 on the other, and they expand the Ten Commandments, apply them to Israel's lives, um, and, be, and show us who God is. So these chapters expand the Ten Commandments. And as we start to, to wrap up all these laws in Exodus 23, uh, it's fitting that we start to end where we began. Uh, in the first set of laws that we looked at in Exodus 21, we saw how these, the laws in 21 expanded um, the fourth commandment. You shall uh, keep the Sabbath day. That for six years slaves worked, but on the seventh year was a year of release. 
It was the year of freedom, the year of rest. And that's exactly how our passage begins today. For six years you shall sow, you shall work, you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall rest. So Exodus 23, 10 through 19 expands again the fourth commandment, but in a different way. And we'll see how it's different and applies it to Israel's daily life. But as always with God's law, it shows us God. It says this is God's character. This, these laws show us who he is. And in particular, this passage reveals the lordship of God. Which means that he is your master. You are his slave. And as he said back when Israel was still in Egypt, he said, let my people go that they may serve me. And this passage shows us that the Lord is our master who we are to serve, him alone. But it also shows us the kind of master that he is. It shows us that he is our master, but it also shows the kind of master that he is. And in short, God is the kind of master who gives rest to his slaves. God is the kind of master who invites and commands his servants to come into his house to sit at his table and to eat his food. So in short, where we're going today is, is your master, the Lord, gives you rest and calls you to come to him to feast in his presence with thankful worship. So we'll see how he's our master. We'll see how he, how he commands rest and feasting and how we respond with thankful worship. So let's begin in verse 13. First, in verse 13, the Lord says, Pay attention to all I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Now, it's easy to gloss over this law because we've heard similar laws, right? Okay, another law about don't worship other gods. Um, but there's, a re there's two things that we should notice about this particular law in verse 13. First, he begins with pay attention or keep all that I have commanded you, all that I have said to you. One of the truth of Scripture is that God doesn't simply want us to stop doing bad things. But he also wants us to fill the void of all that time and energy that we spent sinning to actually fill that time with doing the things he wants us to do. But it's not enough to stop doing bad things. The Lord calls us to do the things he commands us because God is not a disinterested boss um, who doesn't care as long as you don't make him look bad. The Lord is our master. He commands us. He says, keep what I have said to you. Do it. Because he's our master. And secondly, this law in verse 13 concerning idolatry specifically says, do not mention the names of other gods. Now, why would God bring up the names of other gods? Uh, in the ancient world, names were, were, were meaningful and they were magical. Which meant that when you worshipped a god, you would invoke its name in order to... to have power over that God. The, the name of the God had meaning. It, it revealed who the God was. And it also, when you knew it, you could use it to, to make that God do what you wanted it to do. So you would invoke its name over and over and over again, right, to, to get its attention and to force it to do what you wanted to do. Israel, because they're sinners and because they're surrounded by this, they would be tempted to do the same thing 
not just to idols, but also to the true God. Because remember, in Exodus 3, God gave his name to Israel. He said, this is my name. Now you might think, well, that was pretty foolish. Is God giving his people power over him? Well, the Lord is saying, you shall not do this. You shall not use names in this way because you can't do that to God. It doesn't work, first of all. And second, it reveals that you are trying to be the master over God. When you try to get God to do what you want him to do, you are trying to be the master over God. But because names have meaning, God's name has meaning. And we find two places in our chapter where God's name is mentioned and given meaning. His name, Yahweh. It means lots of things, but twice in our passage specifically it appears. First in verse 17, the Lord says, Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Now, the ESV um, translates it, all you males shall appear before the Lord God. Uh, but in the Hebrew, it's not Lord God. In the Hebrew, it says that all the males shall appear before the master, Yahweh. So the first thing that the Lord links his name to is that he is master. In other words, God's name means he is the ruler of all things. That he is the master of all things. That no one can master him. And this means that everything that happens, happens according to his will. Everything that, that comes to pass, comes to pass because he willed it. He directs all of life. Everything that happens. And then verse 19, it expands this to show um, the best of your first fruits is verse 19. The best of your first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord, your God. You shall bring the first fruits into the house of Yahweh, your God. So in other words, Yahweh is master and he is your master. So not only is he the ruler of all things, he is your ruler. Not only does everything happen in the world according to his will, everything happens in your life according to his will. Which means that everything that you do has to be oriented towards him. Because when you serve anything else other than God, when you name anything other than Yahweh, or when you name God in order to, to rule over him, you are trying to be master. So we learn first that the Lord is master and he is your master. But what kind of master is he? Well, we begin to learn in verses 10 through 12. The first thing that Israel's master commands is that they work their fields for six years, but verse 11, the seventh year you shall lie, let it rest and lie fallow. So the ESV says, let it rest and lie fallow, but the, the Hebrew is, is much more direct and vivid. Verse 11 reads, in the seventh year you shall release it and leave it untended. Now the image of the word to release is here the image of, of unclenching your fist. 
It's as if to say that on the seventh year you shall relinquish your grip upon the land. What the Lord is getting at is, is a fundamental attitude shift away from the tight-fisted control to open hands. Why? Why is Israel to open their hands to let go of their land on the seventh year? Well, the Lord says it is to serve others. Right? You shall, in the seventh year, you shall relinquish, you shall let go of your land, lay, let it lie untended so that the poor of your people may eat. In other words, you and I are not to hold our earthly possessions tightly. We are to hold them loosely. We are to hold them loosely because it is to serve others. It shows, first, what we are to do. But notice how this law shows us who God is. This law shows us that God is concerned with feeding the poor. That God cares about the poor of his land. He cares enough to make a law so that they can have something to eat. In, in other places in Scripture... For instance, Jesus' own words, look to the sparrows of the field. Right? They do not harvest, they don't sow, and yet God feeds them. God cares for them. So how much more will he care for you? How much more will he care even for the, the poorest people in his kingdom? This is who God is. He is the God who cares for the poor. He is, that's the kind of master he is. Right, when you think of, of masters in the world or in Scripture, you think of, of tyrannical, abusive power authorities, people who, who abuse the lowest people, who, who use other people. But that's not the kind of master that God is. God is the kind of master who feeds the poorest of his land. And then we start to see even more clearly the kind of master he is in verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your servant woman and the sojourner may be refreshed. So the command is to rest. Again, to serve others. In particular, this command says to rest so that the son of your slave woman and the sojourner may be refreshed. Because remember, these laws, if they're revealing God's character, this is telling us something about who God is. So the law is that Israelite masters, people who have slaves, are to give rest to the lowliest of their household. And even to people who aren't part of their household. Just because someone's sojourning, even then you give them rest. Why? Why are Israelite masters to give rest to even the lowliest of their household? Well, because that's who God is. Because God is the master who gives rest to even the lowliest of his household. Because who did the Lord bring out of Egypt? Who did he feed in the wilderness? Who did he refresh by turning bitter water sweet? Who did he pour water out of the rock for? In all these ways, the Lord did these things for sons of slave women and for sojourners. God gave rest to Israel, slaves and sojourners, 
And so we, as his people, are to turn and do the same. Like this law teaches us that's who he is. He is the master who feeds the poor. He is the master who refreshes the slave. He is the master who delights to give uh, his people rest. But notice how, we are to, to, notice how we are to treat rest in light of this. Because we go wrong with rest in a couple of different ways. Uh, the first way that we go wrong with rest is that we rest with clenched fists. It's, it's entirely possible to have your feet up and to be snuggled on a cozy blanket and to not be resting. Your body may not be moving, but your, your fists are tightly clenched around something you do not want to lose. You may be physically lying down, and yet your heart is, is clenched. True rest requires you open your hands. And it means that you have to open your hands to God. It means that rest is actually not for you, it's for someone else. True rest requires the faith that even if God were to take away everything I have, I would be okay because my master cares for the poor. My master would feed me. My master would care for me, even if he took away everything. That is when you start to actually rest, when you open your hands to your master. The second way we go wrong is by twisting the purpose of rest. It's really easy uh, to make rest about you. Right, you come home from a long day of work, you're tired, you want to rest. You want to be refreshed. And rest then means that I will do then what makes me happy and what I want to do so that I feel refreshed, so that I can have what I want. But the fundamental attitude of these laws is rest, yes, but why? To serve someone else. That even if you are the one resting, you are resting so that there will be more of you to give to others. We do not rest for rest's sake. We rest and we get refreshed so that we can then go and bless others. When we call others to rest, we, we rest so that our families rest. We rest so that other people rest. We rest to bless others because rest has a purpose. And that purpose is shaped by the character of God. And if the Lord is the one who gives us rest, we are to treat rest as a purpose. It has a purpose to serve others. And so the Lord is your master. He's your master who gives you rest. But he's also the master who calls you into his presence to feast. So verses 14, 15, and 16 command Israel to keep what are often called the, the three pilgrim feasts. There's the feast of unleavened bread in verse 15. That's the Passover feast. There's the Feast of Harvest and the Feast of Ingathering in verse 16. Now, jump down to verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. Now, notice what the Lord says is that this is His feast. That when you're doing these feasts... And you're offering sacrifices. Here's what you do. Because it's God's feast. Which means that God's the host. Which means that because God's the host, that these are his feasts, it shouldn't surprise you to learn that all these feasts are held 
in His presence. So verse 15, None shall appear before me, or none shall come into my presence empty-handed. It's verse 15. And then verse 17, which reiterates that it's, it's three feasts in the year. Uh, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, or in the presence of God. So all these feasts, these are God's feasts. He's the host, and they are held in his presence. Which means that the commandment, these, these laws, are to enter into the presence of the Lord uh, and to have a big feast three times a year. Uh, which is a commandment that I think I could keep. Right, that sounds pretty good. But notice what this says about God as a master. What kind of master is God? He is the kind of master who invites and commands his slaves to come into his house and to eat his food. He's the kind of master who invites them into his house. He calls them and commands them, come into my house, come before me and eat my feast. Come sit at my table and eat the king's food. That's the kind of master God is. All you have to do is start comparing to, to other masters, especially Pharaoh, and all the commandments that they gave. Think of Pharaoh as a master. What did Pharaoh command Israel to do? Make bricks without straw. What did God command Israel to do? Rest and feast. Come into my house and eat with me. God is the master who calls his slaves to come into his own house. She shares food with them. He commands them to rest. He gives them rest because that's who he is. That's the kind of master that he is. And because God never changes, uh, that's who he was in Exodus 23. That's who he was 2,000 years ago. That's who he is today. So when Jesus... God made flesh, came, he said, I am the Lord, or the master, of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man. Which means that the Sabbath is God's gift, it's Jesus' gift to his servants. Because he created the Sabbath to show his lordship but to show the kind of master that he is. Here's what Jesus commands you to do. Rest, come into his house, and feast. That's the kind of master that Jesus is. Or as we read in our, uh, in our call to worship this morning, the kind of master Jesus is, is, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So every Sunday when we gather together as a body, when we gather to worship, we come into the presence of our Master Jesus to rest and to feast. That what God gives you today, what He offers you today, is, is a feast of His Word. It's a feast of the supper before us. It's a feast of His grace. It's a feast that feeds our souls. And so when we come to worship on Sunday, we come to rest because we come to see and hear that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. Which means that the work 
of your salvation has been accomplished. That means it's done. That means nothing more needs to be added to it, which means you get to rest in the fact that someone else has worked for you. And we come to worship God on Sunday, to worship Jesus Christ, to feast. Right? We come to, to unclench our fists, to relax our jaws, to let your shoulders hang a little bit looser, because you come to a feast. You come into God's house where He gives you His food. That today when we worship God, when He talks to you through His Word, and when you come to the supper before you, this is a feast that God has given you, and it is heavenly food. It is His food that He shares with you, even though you are His slave. That is the kind of master that He is. So through the supper, through the Word, we come to worship, come to worship Jesus, our Master who gives us rest, who gives us a feast. So how should we then respond? How should we respond to Jesus, our Master, who gives us this rest, who accomplishes our salvation, and who feeds us so freely? First, obey His command to rest. And obey His command to feast. That today, when we come to worship... We come to worship in order to rest and to feast, even if we don't feel like it. And that means that also that we come to God, that we should respond to Him with thankfulness. Now, I promise I did not say that just because Thanksgiving is this week. Um, I actually forgot Thanksgiving was this week. Um, but when we look at this, at this chapter, at these verses... Look at verse 19 especially. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. The first way that we respond to Jesus' lordship is by recognizing it with thankfulness. Right? We bring offerings, we bring the best of the first fruits to the Lord because we're thankful. Not because he needs those things. God doesn't need our offerings. But because we have an attitude of thankfulness, we bring those to him. And we see that in how then the Lord says, don't boil a young goat uh, in its mother's milk. What the Lord is saying is that uh, this is likely a, a Hebrew idiom, which means uh, it's not literal. It means uh, don't combine the old generation with the new. Don't mix the two generations together. Right? Don't boil a young goat with its mother's milk. Don't mix the two generations together. And as one author puts it, it probably referred to a common peasant farmer's tactic uh, for resisting oppression where you would secretly make up a portion of the yearly tithe or rent or uh, produce of your land um, with surplus stuff from last year's harvest. You would mix last year's harvest with this year's harvest and mix them together so that you don't technically give them the best. It's a way that you keep some back for yourself. And the Lord, when he says, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk, he's saying, that's the wrong attitude because that's not thankfulness. When we respond to Jesus by treating him like an oppressive master, 
Not only do we miss completely who he is, but we're saying he's not worthy of our best. But Jesus is worthy of our best, and he's not an oppressive master. He's the master who gives his servants rest and feasting. So we are to offer him thankful worship. We are to bring God our best. Not out of obligation. Not because this is how we make up what God has done for us. Because what have we received that we have earned? What do you and I have that we deserve? Nothing. Everything we have is a gift from Jesus. And so when we give our best to Jesus, what we're saying is, you deserve it, Lord. You are such a good master. Thank you. Thank you for giving me rest. Thank you for your feast. And you might be asking, well, what does this mean for me? I don't, I'm not a farmer. Should I just bring some potatoes every week to church? Uh, in the New Testament, what we see is that when we meet together as a body, we are to offer sacrifices. But the sacrifices we offer are sacrifices of praise and to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That we bring the best to God, which means when we come to worship Jesus, our master on Sunday, we bring him our best. Which means when we worship him, we worship him 100%. Which means we do it joyfully. Which means we don't do it half-heartedly. Which means we're not here out of obligation. We come to church out of gratitude. We come to church with joy. We come to praise him. We come to open our hands to him. Because he is the master who gives us rest. He's the master who invites us to his table and feeds us his food. So I'd like to invite the elders forward so that we can partake of his table this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this meal. We thank you for this feast. We thank you that you feed us from your table that you give us the grace uh, of your favor, that you shine your light upon us, Lord. Father, we pray that you would, uh, you would take away our hearts of stone, our hearts that are so uh, ungrateful, that we are so quick to be discontent with your blessings. Lord, please help us to thankfully worship you, to bring you our best, not, not half of what you deserve. Lord, we pray that you would uh, mold us as we go out this week. That you'd help us, Lord, to remember why we rest, that it is to serve others as you have loved and served us. Father, we thank you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.